Ladies and germs, welcome to the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast, the, the survival guide for dentists. I made a little pivot and although the content's the same, all I did was change the name to the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast, survival guide for dentists and dental students will say. People are reaching out. I've had someone from Creighton University, Michigan State University, and University of Michigan, my alma mater, mater, ask me to speak there. So if you want me to speak at your school or your small society or your large society, whatever you got going on, I would love to. If I can open up about myself, I want to turn this podcast into something meaningful and I want to go out and public speak. So if you want me to speak, reach out to me, Instagram, phone number, email, Email's probably better, vbushami, B-U-S-C-E-M-I-D-D-S at gmail.com. Couple of housekeeping things come to you with sad news. My podcast guest, Dr. Alvin Dannenberg, who was the periodontist I had on maybe in March of this year, who put his cancer in remission with the carnivore diet passed away yesterday around 4 p.m. Eastern time. Sad, very sad. Um, He actually had this letter ready to all his newsletter subscribers, and when he passed away, he had his marketing specialist send it out. And I'll probably even read the letter in another podcast, or, yeah, I'll probably do that. He was a great guy. You guys know my sister was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer a year ago. She beat it. Um, He was, was such emotional support during that time. He took time to call me. We talked. Even on the podcast, at the end of his podcast with me, he said he's always available to help. And his only mission in life towards the end was improve the lives of others. I'm going to miss him. I know other people will too. Um, Usually I say, Alvin, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. Um, If you believe in God, Alvin, if you're in heaven, you are in heaven, but if you believe in heaven, Alvin's there. And Alvin, if you're listening, we all miss you. We're going to miss you, and you were such a pleasure to talk to. So let's move on to something more positive because this is a positive podcast. I have a very interesting guest I had on next. This is kind of a weird topic for a dentist to talk about. It's kind of taboo. I'm going to have to make it 18 plus on YouTube, and I don't know if Spotify has that, but I'm talking to Josh. Shay. He was a pornography addict. Crazy pornography addict for 25 years. Also an alcoholic. And I interviewed him and he talks about his struggles with pornography, which is crazy. I know somebody, we'll just say that I know somebody that his wife left him and one of the factors was his addiction to pornography crazy. Um, I read about this like 10, 15 years ago, how pornography destroys your brain. And I'm sure there are some dentists or dental students listening that watch pornography. Don't email me and tell me to do. That's your business. But maybe email Josh. Um, It's destroying your brain. So Josh, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. Guys, this is a It's not a gross podcast. We don't get into the details of pornography, but it's just one man 
with this struggle with addiction and pornography and how he overcomes it. And I'm so grateful for an hour with Josh. Guys, you're going to love this. And I hope you guys have a good listen. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Do you feel stuck on the financial hamster wheel? You keep paying on your debts like mortgages, car notes, student and business loans, but they never seem to disappear. My name is Dr. Howard Polanski, former dentist, now founder of Cashflow Coach USA. I guide families and business owners through a simple system to dramatically reduce your payment towards debt. You keep your same lifestyle and keep more money each month. A recent client will pay off their house in just seven months instead of the anticipated 20 years. Free 10-minute discovery call will determine if I can help you too. Go to CashflowCoachUSA.com, scan the QR code, or call 512-608-1020 to find financial freedom faster. Are you tired of using ineffective cosmetics and personal care products filled with harmful chemicals? Meet Ancestral Cosmetics and our range of highly effective products rooted in ancestral wisdom and made with edible ingredients such as beef tallow, olive oil, and raw local honey. Check out our best-selling tallow and honey balm for soft and smooth skin or our revolutionary tooth powder made from eggshells for effective teeth cleaning and whitening without any toxic ingredients. Free US shipping for orders over $50 and you can shop now at ancestralcosmetics.com. So Josh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on my podcast. When I came across your TikTok, and you have it labeled as the corn, what is it, the corn what? That corn That corn that coach. Corn coach. Um, I was like, what the hell the corn was talking about? And it's about pornography. And Yeah, you, you can't say porn on most social media. So I don't know who decided, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I wasn't in that meeting, but... The code word for pornography online is corn. corn. And some social media has porn on their social media, but you can't say the word. So yeah. I'm dying to know why is this your mission in life to help people with corn or porn addiction? Well, I was a porn addict for 24 years. I picked it up at 12 years old. I'm very stereotypical. There was some mental abuse at the hands of my grandmother when I was young. Uh, a bigger piece of it was that there was sexual abuse uh, from a babysitter who I stayed with when I was two and three years old up till five, six years old. Um, there was sexual abuse there. Uh, that was where I formed a lot of my survival skills. That's where I formed a lot of my coping skills. And the coping and survival skills of a five or six-year-old boy cannot be the ones of a 20-year-old man or a 30-year-old man. But I never developed more because when I was 12 years old, I saw hardcore pornography for the first time, a cousin of mine shared a couple of hardcore magazines, and I was immediately hooked. It did not take time for me to develop a porn addiction. I was hooked the moment I saw it. And I've only come to realize in the last several years that what happened in that moment was that seeing those images normalized what happened to me. Oh. Because I was always very torn about what happened to me because... Frankly, as a five or six-year-old boy, some of the things they had me doing didn't feel bad. And I didn't really know what sex was. And I was confused about all this stuff. And 
suddenly here in a legitimate magazine are pictures of grown-ups doing the stuff that I was forced to do. So maybe it was okay. Maybe it was good after all. I need to see more of this because this gave me a feeling like I haven't had before. And from that point forward, up until the day I quit pornography and two years later, uh, alcohol became part of the picture. So for 24 years and for 22 years, respectively, porn and alcohol, they were the two things I could count on, whether I was in high school or college or a single man or starting my family or, you know, at the time that I got clean, 10 years into having my family. It didn't matter where I was in life. Those two things I could count on. Alcohol and porn always made me feel better, always let me feel in control of things. It was a giant lie that I didn't recognize at the time, but I told myself these things were my standbys. These things were the only two things in life I could count on to make me feel better. And then when everything kind of imploded and I ended up and going, getting help, going to rehab and recognizing what the problems were, that it was, oh, none of this was healthy. And, huh, I know, I knew alcoholism existed. I didn't really know porn addiction existed. And then when I got out of the rehab and I went to a bookstore, which I'm sure you remember what those were. I went to a bookstore and I went to the self-help, you know, uh, section and there were plenty of books on addiction, plenty of books on alcohol, but there were no books on pornography addiction. And then I went and I looked when I got home, I looked on Amazon and there were a couple books from some wives who had been with it through their husbands. And there were a couple of very academic books um, like Your Brain on Porn by Gary Wilson or Out of the Shadows by Dr. Patrick Carnes. But there wasn't a lot of stuff for the average layman to read. And I thought to myself, because I had 25 years experience at that point as a journalist, I'd made my professional career in newspapers and magazines. I thought to myself, I have the skills to tell my story. I have, I'm okay with sharing a lot of details of my life. Most people aren't. I have connections in this industry so I can tell my story. What could Josh have heard when he was young that might have made him think twice. I never did heroin. I never did ecstasy. I never did hard drugs. I never was a, you know, hard smoker. I didn't do a lot of things because I knew they were bad for me. Could I have been told how pornography was bad for me? And could I have avoided all of this? That's why I'm out there now. I'm trying to, no matter what I do, whether it's coming on a show like yours or whether it's coaching somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I'm trying to help educate and make people recognize that this can be a problem. It can be a real problem, but it can also be overcome. So when you saw the hardcore pornography at age 12, was it almost relief, like what you had to do was normal? Was it even arousal at 12? What did you feel when you instantly saw those images? Absolute arousal. arousal. Absolute arousal. And because, and I'll, I'll tell you this, this is, this is 
more than anything an adult did to me or I had to do to an adult or anything that an adult forced me to do to a child or a child did back to me because there was some of that twisted stuff going on. There was one that my babysitter was, I think she was in her 50s. And I can look back now and recognize how sick she was mentally and how nobody should have been taken care of by her. Obviously didn't recognize it as a five-year-old. Her, She had a 20-year-old daughter who was... I thought she was absolutely cool and I liked hanging out with her. And one day I was in her room with her uh, and she had to get ready to go to work. And she told me to turn around, you know, I was sitting on the bed, turn around so she could change. And I realized that if I sat perfectly on the bed, I could arrange it so I could look at the mirror on her bureau and it would shoot back to her uh, closet where she was changing. So I think I'm super slick. So took about two seconds for her to catch me. And because uh, turns out I wasn't that slick, um, which would be a theme that runs through <laughs> my life. Um, but she asked me at that point, have you ever seen a woman's breasts? And I said, no. And she said, well, come over here. And then she was like, you better not tell my mother I'm letting you see them because we'd both be in a lot of trouble. But she dropped her bra to her elbows and exposed her breast to me when I was six. And I can tell you, I got an erection, even at six years old. And she asked me, do you, have, do you want to feel them? I was like, yeah. So she let me put my hands on them probably for only two or three seconds. But I tell you, Vincent, that was the most sexually charged moment of my life. And I think a lot of my porn addiction was really about chasing that moment and trying to get that level of dopamine and trying to get that level of excitement and that high to come back. I'm like blown away by this. So this was the daughter of the 50 year old babysitter who did this. So yeah, she, she was around 20. Okay. So she obviously had mental issues too. Cause what well-adjusted good looking 20 year old female does that to a six year old boy? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, you said looking but 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 here's the funny thing yeah. is that i thought it was wonderful i was in rehab 25 years 20 30 years later trying to defend the daughter and they're like no josh this is child sexual assault and i'm like no this was a great great thing that happened you know it's like when you hear the story of the hut gym teacher screwing the 13 or 14 year old boy and when you were 13 or 14 i'm sure oh man why can't i be that guy? yeah exactly i was that kid at six yeah but it was absolutely child sexual assault it just took me 30 years to wrap my arms around that idea oh my gosh so you met because it felt great oh yeah i mean gosh so you said what are some of the things you could tell 12-year-old Josh to kind of steer his life in a different direction. What are some of the things you would say? I have reached the conclusion that 12-year-old Josh would not have listened to me. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. And that's the thing is I was a bit of a narcissist. I was a huge egotist. I needed attention like few other people. Um, I did what I wanted to do with my life when I wanted to do it. Now, maybe that had to do with 
the pornography. Um, but I sort of had this horrible uh, philosophy in life that I thought was wonderful and served me well of don't ask for permission. You're charming. Just say you're sorry. And that's how I lived my life for a very, very long time. I just did what I wanted. And I don't think 12-year-old Josh or 18-year-old Josh or even 25-year-old Josh would have looked at me now and said, what the hell are you talking about, old man? I don't know that he would have listened. And that's what makes it somewhat challenging for me is that I'm still not sure how I could have kept myself off of this. The only thing that I think might have worked was if you had explained porn-induced erectile dysfunction to me. If you would have been able to explain that there is a large segment of young men in their late teens and early 20s who are experiencing erectile dysfunction because of what porn is doing to their brain, essentially breaking their penis, that might have scared me enough to keep me away from it. And I still think that every 12 and 13 year old boy needs to be taught in their seventh grade or eighth grade uh, health class about porn-induced erectile dysfunction, because that's the only thing I believe that we have that is science that we can point to that can hurt anybody. It's not just for addicts. Anybody uses a little too much porn, you can easily get erectile dysfunction from it. One out of five guys now. When I was a kid, or not a kid, when I was 20 years old, we're going back 25 years, the ED rates were around 2 to 4% in 20-year-olds. These days, the ED rates are between 18 and 22% in 20-year-olds. You have a better chance of getting erectile dysfunction from pornography if you're an American male than you do losing at Russian roulette. So would you play Russian roulette? Hell no. Well, that's what you're doing when you look at porn. However, the odds that you will end up an addict or the, the odds that it will cause some kind of health issue or life issue for you is stronger than that of Russian roulette. What is porn doing to your brain? My thought is that like whatever you're getting through pornography and then what you get in real life, real life isn't enough to arouse you. Is that what's happening with porn induced? No. no. What's happening? Have to understand for addicts, it starts out like everybody else who discovers porn at 10, 12, 14, whatever. It absolutely is about the naked people doing naked things. It's arousing. It's interesting. It's, it's a curiosity. But it quickly becomes something else. It no longer, it doesn't take very long for it to not be about what's on the screen. It's about getting the chemicals that you get from what's on the screen. When you are watching porn, there is a slow drip of dopamine and serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, all these happy chemicals. There's a slow drip when you're watching porn. If you are masturbating, there's a slow drip of it. When you have an orgasm, it's a huge rush of it. So for a lot of people who have porn addiction, and certainly myself included, it really wasn't about what was happening on the screen. It really wasn't about 
getting off for sexual pleasure. It was about whatever I needed to see, I would see so I could get off, so I could move on with my day. Because for the last 10 years of my addiction, it was really nothing but maintenance. It was not about sexy women. It was not about sexuality. It had nothing to do with that. If I had been a, if I had been a gambling addict, I would have been at the casino every day. But not because I like bright colors and loud noises, because it gave me the chemicals. That's what addiction is about. Addiction is about getting this chemical relief, not necessarily how you get it. Now, yes, if somebody uses cocaine, heroin, there's a whole lot of other issues with that because it's essentially poison. But addiction is addiction is addiction. At the core, the same reason somebody uses cocaine is the same reason they overeat, is the same reason they look at porn in an addictive level. Because they need those chemicals to hit the brain. I try to explain to people, you know, food addiction doesn't take place in your stomach. Cocaine addiction doesn't take place in your nose. And porn addiction doesn't take place between your legs. All addiction takes place in the brain. So when you're a drug addict, you're always needing more of that drug to get the same high. How does yeah, that relate to not, pornography? Because I want that same high. And much like, I look at it like my alcoholism. In the beginning, when I was young, when I was 14, I could get a buzz off two or three beers. By the time I was stopping in my mid-30s, I couldn't drink beer and beer anymore because it wouldn't get me drunk. It escalates. You need more. You build a tolerance, just like a gambler. Well, at first, $20 a hand at, at blackjack feels good. Then it needs to be 50. Then it needs to be 100. And it's not that $100 of a bet of that hand is five times more of a charge than the $20 bet. It's the, they're searching for that exact same initial charge. They don't need a bigger high. They need the same high, but they need to use more of their substance or their behavior to get that high. Because we build tolerances when it comes to addiction. Our brains build tolerances against it. And eventually you have to flood your brain with so much dopamine and so many of these other chemicals that you're actually causing brain damage. Addiction is a disease. It's a disease because it changes your brain's chemistry. That causes absolute brain damage. If you look at a CAT scan of a healthy brain, you know, when you see the reds and the yellows and the greens, it looks like a weather map with the colors almost. You then look at the brain of a porn user and it does not look anywhere near as healthy. In fact, the closest brain you will find to someone who is a porn addict is a cocaine addict. They've done many studies and the high that you get from the dopamine with pornography is most similar to the dopamine high you get from cocaine. That's how strong porn addiction is. It's not just about pictures of boobs or pictures of butts. It really doesn't have anything to do with that if you're an addict. It has to do with the fact that you found this thing that delivers this other thing you need. 
when I was fiending, it wasn't like, go see naked ladies, go see naked ladies. It was like, go look at porn so you can function. Go look at porn so you can feel okay. You feel like hell, go look at porn. It, it didn't matter what the porn was. I, it, it could be something super softcore that got me off that day. It could be something super hardcore. I didn't care. And five minutes later, I couldn't even remember what it was. Didn't matter because it's not about the sex act. It's not about the body parts. It's the fact that the addiction delivers the dopamine, delivers the serotonin. I, I, I describe it almost like... Uh, Addiction is like a Ritz cracker. It's not about the cracker. It's about the cheese and the pepperoni and the other stuff you put on top. That's the high of the addiction. The addiction is just the delivery system. My delivery system happened to involve naked people. So you've got wives and girlfriends and parents and even addicts themselves and or people who don't understand anything about addiction who see well with porn addiction you're looking at naked people and the big finale is an orgasm so this must have to do exactly with sex when it really doesn't it's just that i found this medium delivers my chemicals and I never found another medium that did it the same way. Drinking was very different for me than looking at porn. What was the breaking point? You said you reached a breaking point in your life where you had to stop. Yeah, um, I was the publisher of three magazines um, here in central Maine. Um, I was also a politician. I also was the head of an organization that had created a large film festival in Maine, I was busy 24 seven. And I did that to avoid who I was. The most painful time of the day for me was 1am, 2am when I'm sitting at home and there's no work to do and there's no awards dinner to go through. There's no banquet to go to because I did that networking crap almost every night. Then you get home and you're by yourself on the couch, wife and kids are asleep. And that's when I couldn't really function because that was me being stuck with me. I couldn't go play another character. I couldn't play magazine guy. I couldn't play politician guy. I had to be there with myself facing my own demons and I didn't have the skills because I adopted these coping and surviving skills as a six-year-old boy. So what was I doing at 2 a.m.? Looking at pornography because it gave me a false sense of control. My life was falling apart. My business life was falling apart. My personal life was falling apart. But if I looked at pornography, I could fool myself into thinking I was control in control so I could go to work the next day. I finally ended up going to work one day in March 2014. I owned one third of the company and I ran it day to day. Shortly early in the morning, the other two co-owners show up and they tell me that while I'm going to retain my ownership shares, they are relieving me of my duties. So I got fired because of my drinking. They didn't know anything about the porn, but I got fired because of my drinking from a company I was part owner of and 
the next day that was in the newspaper because I was very well known in my community. Oh my God, the former city councilor. Oh my God, the guy who runs the magazine, the guy who, uh, the guy who runs the film festival, he just got fired. He got kicked out of his job. And I don't remember who said it, but somebody said that it was because of alcohol. Uh, I think it was one of my coworkers who was pissed off at me because I was always drinking at work. And uh, next thing I knew, you know, my wife put it to me very well that next day when she said, you're not hireable around here anymore. It was just in the newspaper today that you're a drunk and can't be counted on. And then shortly thereafter, I had my uh, quasi-ridiculous, not-like-you-see-on-TV intervention. And thankfully, I had the recognition and the realization that, Jesus, I've got to go get some help. I'm ready. Because while I could gaslight my wife, while I could gaslight my kids and my family, I recognized that I, and I did that for 20-plus years, I realized that I reached the moment that I couldn't do that anymore. And I either had to choose trying to keep as much of a life together as I could that I knew with my wife and kids and my mortgage and my pets, or I could pick corn, pornography, and lose everything except the porn. And frankly, that was no choice for me at that moment because I knew it was finally real. I was going to lose my family the way that I had lost my job if I didn't get my stuff together. So within a week, I was on the West Coast in rehab for alcoholism. And that's where I learned what the depths of my pornography addiction really were. Shortly after that rehab for alcoholism, I went to another one in Texas for sex and porn addiction. Um, that's where I did a lot of the trauma work and learned about that. Um, that's what I that's what I had to do. You know, my family just finally said, we are sick of this. Things are going to change. You are going to be essentially ostracized unless you take care of this. And I realized in that moment they were absolutely telling the truth. And I did not see a happy ending for me if I turned my back on them and embrace the pornography. I would I give only 50 50 odds. I'd be here now with you. Are you still married now? Yep. Same woman. Just had our 20th anniversary last month. Congratulations. So you must be you. very high-functioning, high-intelligence if you can have a business, the city council, the film festival, a wife, kids, and still be addicted to alcohol and pornography. I, how did you pull that off for 22 years? Good effing question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. And it's funny because there was a uh, there was a owner of a, of a business in town. He owned a dental practice. His wife was the, the main dentist. And he said that same thing to me about two, three weeks before it all came crashing down. Uh, because on top of this, I also ran an art gallery and performance space that doubled as our office. So at night, I was often promoting small comedy shows or small concerts for 50 to 100 people in our same building that we had our office. 
And he's just like, I don't know how you do this all. And I said, you know, the funniest part of this is that nobody realizes it's still 50% of my time is still spent trying to keep my stuff together and not go completely crazy. That's where most of my energy went. It just, I, I never thought that if I want to start a magazine, I can start a magazine. If I want to start a film festival, I can start a film festival. I never worried about time. I never worried about logistics of things. I just jumped into things head first and it was another thing on my list. And it was another thing on my list that would allow me to avoid having to be alone with myself. How many people have problems with that now? So when you came out as a alcohol addict or alcoholism, and then later a porn addict, what was the response from your friends or family about the pornography? Because I'll be very vague about this next part. I know somebody that is addicted to pornography and is getting a divorce. And people are calling this person very bad names about the porn addiction. What was the response to your release of that information? Depended who it was. There are family and friends who have never talked to me again. There are family and friends who could have cared at all, couldn't have cared in the least. And then there's the people who had some questions. Some kept their distance. Some took a few years to come around. Um, some had lots and lots of inquiries and wanted to know about it. Um, and I recognize I don't really have control over that. If you're the kind of person who is going to decide because I was sick and I was using this material to try to make myself feel better, if you think that makes me a bad person, if you think that makes me an ungodly person, you think that makes me somebody who doesn't have morals or values or a pervert, what am I going to say to convince you otherwise? I have seen some amazingly perverted stuff in my life. I, I, I now, as a full-time coach with both porn addicts and, and their partners dealing with betrayal trauma, I have heard some, wow, stories that will just peel the paint off the walls from people. But they're sick. They have brain damage. They're ill. They need help. This doesn't mean they're a bad person. In fact, when I am coaching the partner of a porn addict who is dealing with the betrayal trauma from finding out their partner has been using porn um, and probably lying about it for years, one of the things I tell these people is you should be, I don't want you to be happy about this, but at least your partner has an illness. What about the 75, 80% of people who look at porn who don't get addicted, who still lie to their partners, who still use it. These people, they're just bad partners. At least if they're an addict, they have a medical condition that explains why they use this stuff. Most people do use it as a sexual surrogate. And there's nothing, well, I can't say nothing, but there are a few things that are harder to do than to talk to a, let's say a man, because it's usually that, a man who a wife thinks is an addict, and then I sit with him and I run through the questions, I run through scenarios, I get to learn about him, and at the end of it, 
he's not an addict. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, just because he looked twice this year or you caught him twice this year doesn't mean he's an addict. From what he's telling me, it sounds like you just had a bad picker. You picked the wrong guy. You picked a guy who wasn't honest. You picked a guy who doesn't care about your feelings. When I was an addict and the addicts I deal with always care about their partner's feelings. The, 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 the idea is that we lie to protect them not to protect ourselves. So what's your response when people say pornography is not bad? Because there are some people out there that promote the use of pornography to like spice up your relationship or it's okay to watch pornography. Well, I would say that anybody who is telling you that pornography is good for you has some kind of stake in it because I have probably read between 150 and 200 studies, surveys, and books. And I have never read one that reaches the conclusion, whether it's about kids, about marriage, about individual use, about trauma from youth, I have never read one that reaches the conclusion using pornography is healthy. And there are guys out there who have heard you know, these urban legends of, well, you have to masturbate or else it's going to cause uh, prostate cancer. There's nothing more amusing than a 20-year-old boy telling me he's worried about <laughs> prostate cancer and that's why he's masturbating <laughs> yeah, every day. It's his only reason. Yeah, he'll go, yeah, he'll go outside without any suntan <laughs> lotion on, doesn't care about the SPF. Apparently skin cancer is okay, but if he has to masturbate daily to avoid that, that prostate cancer, that's what he'll do. That's just a, that's a load of BS. And there is no healthy use of pornography. The most you can hope for is to be one of those people who does not have an unhealthy reaction. And these are the people who use very rarely. It's much like I know there are people out there who can have one or two beers and then walk away. Or I look at it myself. I can go to the local casino that we have. My wife and I go there to their steakhouse two or three times a year. Afterwards, we play slot machines. I tell myself I can lose up to $50, and if I win 100 I quit. Either way, I quit, or if I go an hour, I quit. I have no problem with those boundaries because I'm not an addict when it comes to gambling. But I certainly can understand how you could become an addict. I certainly can see how you spin the wheel and you're waiting for something to happen. And if it's close, you know, bar, bar. Ooh, what's this one going to do? Oh, God dang it. I didn't get it. That's a rush of dopamine. I get that, and I can understand how people get very addicted to it, but I don't. I'm lucky there. There are people who don't get addicted to pornography who can still use it, but don't make the mistake that it's a healthy thing to do because it's not a healthy thing to do. At best, it's not unhealthy. So would you say it's, you said not unhealthy, would it be, if you're not addicted, is it benign to look at? Yeah. 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 That's basically what I think is that for some people it's benign. One of the newest statistics um, that's come out since the pandemic, and we don't have a lot of statistics since the pandemic, and I personally don't trust many st statistics before the pandemic at this point because everything changed during it. 
Um, but one of the statistics that's really telling is that of the men in the world who use the internet, now there are millions who don't, billions who don't, but of the men in the world who use the internet, 90 point, or I'm sorry, 91.5% look at pornography at least once a month online. Of the women in the world who use the internet, 60.2% look at pornography at least once a month online. Not all of those people are addicts. A lot of those people are between boyfriends or girlfriends. And when they get somebody, they'll stop. A lot of them, once in a great while, they do it. And that's that. That's it. That's all they need. And like I say, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's unhealthy, but it certainly isn't healthy. And aside from that, we talked about it can, you know, what else is bad about it? Well, it can cause uh, erectile dysfunction in a large, large community of men. It also can absolutely warp young people's views of sexuality. I have a TikTok video up where I did the math and the average guy who watches pornography starting at 11, because that's the average age that a boy sees pornography for the first time now, from 11 to 18, as a minor, the average boy will watch just over 2,500 hours of pornography. Oh my gosh. From 11 to, from 11 to 17. And we know those of us who are older, those of us who have been in healthy sexual relationships, recognize what we see on pornography is not real. We don't, real people don't bend themselves like that. Well, real people don't have sex in the middle of the afternoon on a white leather couch. <laughs> real people don't screw the pizza guy. Real people don't get stuck in the clothes dryer. That's not real life. And it's kind of funny because since I've gotten very large on TikTok, I've actually had some pornography stars reach out to me and say, keep doing what you're doing. Keep telling them this isn't real. They don't know that a 10 minute, a 10 minute scene they're watching took nine hours to film and the money shot at the end wasn't even that actor. It was stock footage because he couldn't, he couldn't finish. It is complete fiction. Pornography is fiction. It's not a documentary. It's not a reality show. But how is a 12-year-old kid supposed to recognize that? So what we're seeing happen now is that we are seeing actual rates of uh, intercourse among people in their late teens and their 20s drop like it hasn't ever before. And I absolutely believe this is because many of the females of that age group, say college age, and I've talked with many of them when I've given presentations, do not want to have sex with virgin men because they have been trained by pornography how to behave. And there was a study I believe it was before the pandemic that a university looked at the top hundred videos on two adult websites and combined 
97% had either physical or verbal aggression from the man towards the woman. Think about it. The man will often have his hand around her throat. The man will be calling her derogatory things and directing her in derogatory ways. He will bend her like a pretzel. And this doesn't even talk about how these scenes usually finish on the girl's face, which is ultimately hugely degrading too. So 97% of these videos present this as normal sexuality. This same college then did a follow-up study, or might have been at the same time. They asked women of college age, how many times have you been in a consensual sexual experience that got too aggressive? And 40% said that they had. It's because the men in this world, are, or the young men in this world, are watching pornography and taking their cues from that. You can't teach an hour and a half of sex ed in sixth grade and think you're gonna compete with 2,500 hours worth of pornography. Pornography is our sex ed for our youngest people and it gives such a messed up, warped view of sexuality. To me, that's ultimately the worst part of it. You know, I tell people, I'm, I'm not anti-pornography. I'm not fighting to abolish it and make it illegal because I think that's a waste of time. There's always gonna be interest in sexuality. There's been interest in depictions of sexuality back to caveman times. As soon as you could draw on the cave wall, we were drawing naked people on the cave wall. Go to any muse, fine arts museum, look at the ancient medieval pottery. There's some X-rated stuff painted on there. What most people still consider the best sex guide in the world, the Kama Sutra, comes from super conservative India. And it's not like it's 10 years old, it's hundreds of years old. We've always been interested in sexuality. That's a normal thing. But because of the world of pornography, and more specifically, high-speed pornography, with unlimited access through our devices, we are going to become, and we are becoming, a sexually unhealthy society. And that's what I feel like I fight more is I'm out there trying to educate. People say to me, oh, well, I, I use four times a week. Is that good or bad? That's up to you. You have to figure out what's health, healthy or unhealthy. I can provide the facts, but you have to decide what's healthy and unhealthy. And that's why I'm out here doing this, is to try to give information to people so they can make better decisions. One of the things I hear as a coach a lot of times at the end of a first session is, you made me feel better than any therapist I've ever talked to. You made me feel better than any doctor I've ever talked to because you didn't judge me. You didn't make me feel like I was a freak. Because I know that, you know, six-year-old Josh wanted to touch boobs. And he did. You know, I, I hear this. And it's such a sad tale because I'm a father of four daughters. So, of course, Whoa. of course, these women are. Jeez, I should be interviewing <laughs> yeah. you. Of course, these women are victims, but these men too are victims yeah. because this pornography is turning them into animals. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine you're in college and you're gonna lose your virginity, and and this man is like putting his 
hand around a female's neck during that, it it ruined it for everyone. And he's going in thinking this is like, maybe she wants this or maybe this is, and then everybody's traumatized from this situation. Absolutely. And the other thing on top of this, there is a percentage of women who view pornography and take the message away. This is how I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to feel towards sexuality. So you have that kind of dysfunctional thinking out there as well. You know, it just, it doesn't do anything good for us. You know, when a woman has to stop, you know, when a 20 year old woman has to stop a 20 year old guy because threw her on a bed and called her a bitch. Hey, stop. This is not how it happens in real life. You know, you're, you're not Ron Jeremy. I'm not Riley Reed. We're two normal people who have very little experience with this. So let's pretend we don't know TV. You know, I don't care how much, I don't care how many spy movies you've watched. You're not a spy. Yeah. So if I'm coming to you as a client and I'm addicted to pornography, it's ruining my relationship. What's step one? How do you get me out of this hole? Step one is that we take a look at your patterns. I truly believe that everything you need to get better is inside of you. My job through my training is to just figure out how to pull it out of you and how to get it out of you. It can be different for everybody, but the the things that I usually say is number one, understand your patterns, understand your triggers, understand your urges. And if that means walking around with a notepad and writing them down, so be it. What time did you get an urge? Where were you? What was your mood? And what had happened in the last 30 minutes to an hour? Anytime you get an urge, anytime you get a trigger, or anytime you actually use, write that down. And you spend a few days doing this, you're going to see patterns that you didn't know existed. Oh, I always use immediately after work on the bad days. On the good days, I wait till I go to bed. That's a huge piece of information to work with that you may not realize. So there's some analytics that have to be done at first. And um, on top of that, I believe that everybody has to find their must for quitting. Not why is it a good idea to quit? Why should I quit? What are the reasons I need to quit? No. Why must you quit? And you must be committed to that. I, for years and years, used knowing my family wasn't going anywhere. Then the day that I recognized, oh, we are now at a crossroads. My family is going somewhere if I don't make the right choice. That's when I had to make the right choice. That's when my must became my family. Because I would give up pornography to keep them. But what what might you lose? Might you, if everybody found out you were a porn addict, would you lose the podcast? Would you lose your job? Would you lose your family? Would you lose chances at the, the next promotion? Would you lose a bunch of your family members who maybe are extended? You're not, you're no longer invited to the extended family Christmas party anymore. What are you going to lose if you stay with pornography that is going to be such an impact on your life negatively that you have no other choice than to do whatever you have to do to get healthy? In your clients, what are some of these triggers? 
depends on their backstory. Mm-hmm. It can be anything. It can be a song. It can be a TV show. It can be the way somebody's dressed. It can just be a flashback. I mean, I, I, I've, it can be a certain type of food. I mean, PTSD is a huge thing. And uh, it drives, I think, I think PTSD drives so much of this world. And it depends on the individual. And that's part of what I have to do. After the initial uh, consultation, the first session, all we do, and sometimes it takes up to three sessions, depending on their age and, and what's going on, we do a very comprehensive timeline. So I can hopefully find the red flags. So I can hopefully find those things that we need to talk about. One of the things that's great is that, and a lot of people don't realize they do it, they sit down in front of me, they tell me exactly what I need to know without even realizing they're telling me about it. They sit down and start telling me a story about, you know, when their uncle took them fishing and he made them both take off their their swimsuits and, and fish naked. I didn't ask anything about fishing. I didn't ask anything about your uncle. And within 15 minutes of us talking, you're telling me this story? Well, this story must have something to do with everything that's going on for you to throw this at me right away. And a lot of what I do is just guide people through their stories. I ask certain questions of their stories. I believe everything you need to heal is inside of you. But if you don't have certain tools, if you don't have certain techniques, you have to ask somebody for help. And there's nothing more courageous and there's nothing that shows you a stronger person than seeking help when you need it. There are so many guys out there who are so afraid to find out what's going on. And nah, I don't, I don't need anything like that. I don't need anybody to help me. That doesn't make you a tough guy. That makes you a, an absolute wimp. That makes you an absolute, uh, you're, you're, you're not courageous. You're, you're spineless. Courageous people seek out help when they need it. Smart people seek out help when they need it. Tiger Woods has a coach. Taylor Swift has a coach. Everybody playing sports has a coach. Having somebody with the outs, with some expertise who can watch from the outside what you're doing is huge. And people need to get over the stigma of asking someone for help. You know, it's only been 20, 25 years that we've been accepting of mental health in this in this world. You know, when I was a kid, there was no autism. There was no ADHD. There was no ADD. And it's not like I'm 100. 15 years ago, there was no BPD. Um, I heard something else the other day. Some, some new. Oh, uh, I heard a new one the other day. Antisocial personality disorder. First time I heard of that a few months ago. Maybe it'll be the next big thing. Maybe it won't. But we are only now taking mental health seriously for the first time. Our fathers, our grandfathers, those guy, those old white guys in Washington who are still there, all kind of had the idea of if you can't see the boo-boo, it's not really there. Mm-hmm. And it's only been in the last 25 years we've changed this. So we are in we are in the early, early days of understanding anything about mental health. 
we are even in earlier days understanding anything about pornography addiction. We're in the Wild West right now. This is the very, very beginning of this stuff. Are a lot of your clients that come to you, have they had previous childhood sexual experiences? You described, maybe that was just a fake example, but the uncle on the boat, the pants come off. Yeah. You as a six-year-old, you're a horrible babysitter. Is that a pattern in your clients where they have early childhood sexual experiences? With probably about half. And it doesn't matter whether they're a male or a female. Probably about half. And it doesn't matter whether they're a porn addict or they're suffering from betrayal trauma. About half have had some kind of sexual trauma happen in their life. So after they find their patterns and develop this awareness, what is the next step when you get that urge? What do you do? Well, it, it depends, again, who you are. What's going to make sense for you? You know, I tell people, when you get an urge, go be around people. I don't care if it's your parents or your roommates or your wife and kids or boyfriend. Go be around people. If you, if you don't have any people to be around, go to Denny's and sit at the counter. Go to the mall and sit in the food court. Go to the movie theater and watch something. Just be around people because most of us will not look at porn and most of us will not satisfy ourselves to porn around other people. And if you can't be around people, if it's 2 a.m. and you're jonesing like crazy, take your device and go put it in the kitchen in a drawer and then go back to your room. You this is going to be a time that, that tests your discipline, but you need to, at least early on, have some ways to cope with this. You know, maybe you read. I tell I tell if your mind will not get off the pornography, if you're continuing, I got to use, I got to use download some really, you know, not fun, but mind-clenching spelling or math games on your phone. Just the kind of thing that makes, because your prefrontal cortex is what's telling you, use porn now, use porn now, use porn now. But if you're playing one of those dumb games where you have to find words based on the 12-letter word, you're also using your prefrontal cortex. You will stop focusing on the pornography. You have to take your attention off of it. Do you ever coach to replace it with another habit? Like you said, the math games, but like, how did you break it? Did you like pick up working out? Did you pick up another habit that replaced pornography? I think you're looking at yeah. it. Yeah. I think you're largely looking at it. I created this life for myself where I never planned on being a coach. What happened was I put out my first book. It did. Eh, and... But what happened with the first book is that I heard from so many wives, so many girlfriends, even some mothers who said, okay, you fixed yourself somehow. I've got betrayal trauma. How do I fix my guy? And I had to learn what betrayal trauma was at that point. That's when I put out another book with, along with a uh, friend of mine who actually is a therapist about betrayal trauma. And that's when I started going around and giving speeches about pornography, addiction, and betrayal trauma, mostly colleges, some libraries, some churches, some other places. Then the pandemic hit. 
And suddenly nobody wanted you to appear at the auditorium to speak because the auditorium was locked. And the world of public speaking has not recovered from the pandemic. Because what did we learn? Well, we don't have to fly your ass out here. We can put you on Zoom for one-tenth the price. Yeah, I know. Thanks. And it was actually my my uh, friend who I co-wrote that book with who told me at the beginning of the pandemic, if you're going to keep doing this stuff, say, you're so great at talking to people. Go take the courses you need to take to be a, a certified coach because you're going to knock it out of the park with this. And I was like, well... If I want to make a living, if I have to do something right now, I guess I'll go do that. And then when the opportunity comes back to go give speeches and travel, I'll do that. And it turned out we never really came back to the speeches. Maybe we will someday, but we haven't got back there yet. But lo and behold, I actually like working one-on-one -on -one with somebody more than standing in front of 3,000 people and, and talking about it. I really love this one-on-one -on -one Working with people, I love seeing people get better. I love seeing people's lives improve. I like helping people. And I got to tell you, if you would have met me 15 years ago when I was an egotistical pain in the ass to be around, you would never think that would have come out of my mouth. 15 years ago, if I heard what I was doing now, I probably would have thrown some homosexual slurs at myself. Oh, that's touchy-feely, you know. Turns out I actually like it. And I've evolved as a human. I've evolved as a man. I've evolved as a sexual being. And I can offer certain things to people who need help. And that's more fulfilling than almost anything I've ever done in my life. Are you still an addict? Do you still get urges to watch pornography? No, no. And it's funny because I recognized it two years that I was pretty much done with daily urges. It probably took another two to three years to fully stop having any urges towards porn or alcohol. And I haven't really felt them the last few years, but this past January, I went through a depressive episode. I have uh, bipolar disorder as well. Um, I went through a depressive episode unlike one I've had in probably 20 years. It was really rough. Aside from coaching and laying on the couch, there was not much I was doing January or February this year. But in the beginning of February, one of the things that actually perked me up was that I recognized I have, despite how depressed and how horrible I feel, I have not once thought about alcohol or pornography being the thing that will make me feel better. And it was, wow. My brain, because one of the great things about the human brain is that it will heal itself. It will fix itself. The neuroplasticity of our brain will recreate healthy neural pathways that were destroyed during addiction. So theoretically, at this point, nine years past stopping this stuff, my brain should be back to where it was or where a healthy male's brain in their mid-40s should be and that just takes time well that's such an important message because i'm sure a lot of the young men that come to you who are really deep into the addiction think i may never get over this right right i i, I can't get hard it's been it's been two months i can't get hard how do i stop this well you do this and this and this how long is it going to take how long dude it's mental health we don't know 
Some guys take two months, three months. Some guys take two years. Everybody I've ever met does eventually get better, but this is not an exact science right now. And I can't predict how fast you're going to be. It's going to have to do with how long you used, how often you used, and if you're willing to truly stop using and stop self-pleasuring. It's going to take all of that. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who, well, if I just sneak it one time, no, you're resetting your clock, man. That's not how it works. And unfortunately, such a huge amount of the clientele I have is that 18 to 25 year old male who, again, like I think I would have been, wants to do it their way. And the one thing an addict needs to know is their way doesn't work. Their way leads to addiction. We have proof. You have to be committed to do what you need to do to get over it and to get through it. So your most successful clients that do get over it, they find their must to stop. They find what their must is and they understand that their must is really more important than anything else. I've had people who I've told them, okay, you have the resources to go to rehab. You have the schedule that would allow you to go to rehab. Yeah, but I can't leave my kids here with my wife. Well, don't you have parents around who will help? Yeah. Don't you have kids? Don't you have friends who will help? Yeah. Are your kids really that bad? No. Okay, then you're using this as an excuse. You are not doing whatever you can to get healthy. I had to leave my kids 10 weeks out in California for alcohol, seven weeks in Texas for porn addiction. But I needed to do that. I missed the hell out of them, but I was not going to let anything stop me from recovering. And in nine years, I quit porn and alcohol, same time, and in nine years, I've not relapsed. And I firmly believe that's because I decided I wasn't going to. And I'm the kind of stubborn guy who, if I'm not going to do something, I'm not going to do something. And I think you need to develop that kind of resolve if you're going to get through this. You seem very resilient. And I, I guess I'm wondering, you can, if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. Your kids, do they know that you're speaking about this? Yeah, you can't write four books and not have it yeah. happen. You can't, you can't spend, I mean, my daughter, my daughter's 24. She has her own house now, but she's, she knows I've been doing this for years. Um, and my son, he's 20. It's funny. He goes off to school and it turns out, you know, people in his floor have been watching me on TikTok <laughs> yeah. for a year already. Yeah. There's nothing funnier than driving home the point to my daughter who kind of wants to be an influencer that her dad in his mid forties has 10 times the followers. She has a hundred thousand on TikTok. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Exactly. So no, they, they know exactly what I do. My wife knows exactly what I do. My parents know exactly what I do. I don't try to hide any of it anymore. I try not to lie to people anymore. I try not to bend the truth anymore. I can't say I'm always successful. But I try not to do that anymore. When people say, what's the best thing about not being an addict anymore? I, says, I don't have to remember my lies. 
That's the best part. I don't have to remember what BS I told you and what BS I told the guy next to you and hope that it lines up. And I don't have to create a third level of BS to tie those two together. And then remember that. The guy you are talking to right now, if you watch me on TikTok, you're going to see that guy. If you come to me for coaching, this is the guy you're going to get. I am me 24-7 now, and it is the most refreshing thing I have ever done in my life. I was going to say, is you don't want me, you don't want me showing up to church in, in shorts and a t-shirt. Don't invite me because <laughs> that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to show up wearing to just about everything, unless it's just completely off the rails. Um, I am true to myself now and I'm true to my decisions and I am who I am. And I truly learned how to not care what people think about me. And it's not that I let go of people not liking me. It's that I let go of people liking me. Because after it all came out that I was an alcoholic, and then later on it came out publicly that I was a, a, a porn addict, there were so many people who turned their backs on me. It just, it was one of those very, very eye-opening things that showed me how the world actually works. And I said, no, I, I, I'm just going to be me, warts and all. I'm going to be my genuine self that I can be. You know, every once in a while, my wife will be like, well, maybe you should, you know, Put on a new shirt or shave before you go see your next client. It's like, if they're coming to me for my facial hair, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I'm, go I'm going to have my facial hair exactly how I want it today. I'm going to have everything exactly how I want it today. And it's not like I live a perfect life. I mean, I've, I've got a massive caffeine problem because I still work 15 hours a day. Maybe I shouldn't be working 15 hours a day. Maybe there is no healthy way to work 15 hours a day. But I have been sitting here since 9 a.m. Uh, at the time we're recording this, it's 4 p.m., so I'm seven hours into my day. I will be here coaching people, or the last thing I do in my day is I do a TikTok presentation around 10 p.m., finish that up around 11, and then go on with my day, or go on and go to bed and... Rinse, wash, repeat the next day. I work seven days a week. Maybe that's not healthy for me, but I am being the most genuine version of myself I've ever been. And it feels so good. And it's so easy. And I had no idea that's what would come out of being clean. I knew I'd feel healthier. I knew I might not feel ashamed, but the idea that I can just be myself and take it or leave it. Because as I was mentioning, I let go of the people who liked me. I never cared about people who didn't like me. My attitude was always, if I don't know you, how can I respect your opinion? But when you said something great about me, I ignored that. I said, yeah, you're right. I'm awesome. But the thing was, a lot of those people who said that I was totally awesome for years on Facebook or other media, that I was, I was the best thing that happened to this town, well, they were also the people on Facebook and these other places after it came out that I was a porn addict and an alcoholic 
oh my God, he should not be running any business. He should not be around children. He should be thrown in jail. And, you know, all of these crazy, crazy ass things. It's like, wait, didn't you just say six months ago you love me? Wait, wait. You're saying crazy negative stuff about me now because you don't know me. Maybe when you were saying really nice stuff about me, you didn't know me either. So if you don't know me, how can I care what you have to think about me? And that's what re that's one of the big things I've learned is that it's it's easy to not care what people think when they say something negative. It's more difficult when they say something really nice, but you can't buy believe your own hype because that was part of my problem for so many years. People told me I was awesome. Well, that's a fun thing to believe. But I wasn't. I was sick. I was an amazing gaslighter. I was an amazing manipulator. I would lie, cheat, steal, do whatever I had to do to get what I needed, which most of the time was just my chemicals. But yeah, I would I I didn't have the moral compass that I have now. And I love it. It feels so much better. I don't want to say your addiction was a gift, but it's given you a purpose in life. And some people go through their entire life and they don't have a purpose and they yearn for one. And it seems like you have one. And we're coming up in the hour mark now, and I really want to respect your time. I always ask at the end, what is one takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this hour interview? There is no stereotypical porn addict. I have uh, been in recovery with people ranging in age from 15 to mid-70s. I have been there with doctors, nurses, lawyers, accountants, homeless people, bums, complete losers, rotten people. Rich people, poor people, fat people, thin people, white people, black people. There is no stereotypical porn addict. Never say to yourself, maybe after listening to this, you think, well, his story isn't mine. True, true. But anybody can be a porn addict. There is no, you cannot disqualify yourself. Oh, it couldn't happen to me. Couldn't happen to my husband. Couldn't happen to my daughter. It can happen to anybody. I look at my clientele now and I've got somebody who was once a reality TV star. I've got somebody who was once a professional athlete. I'm seeing someone this week who is a huge influencer with well over several million people following her. This can happen to anybody. You're not immune, no matter who you are, no matter what your demographics, you are not immune. If you think you have a problem, look into it because you probably do. I appreciate you so much. I know you don't care the great things people say about you, but it's my podcast. So I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I really find it. Well, you've got to know me for yeah. so, I really find. So you're, you're, I can hear you and say, no, he's right. Vincent is right. Yeah. I am an amazing guy. You are. I find inspiration your passion um before we close tell people where they can find you how they can reach out to you and if you're still taking on new clients how they can work with you yeah i i am taking on new clients uh i don't have a lot of spots left 
um, but I do have a few openings. Um, and I will be offering group sessions starting here up in the fall. Once uh, school goes back, I'll have more time to, uh, to coordinate those. Uh, but if you want to find about me um, online, my website is P Addict Recovery, the letter P Addict Recovery. Um, you can learn about my books on there. I have written articles over the years uh, about recovery and about addiction. There's a uh, list of all of the podcasts and TV shows and radio shows I've done. Um, there's some help if you need uh, resources and you want to learn more about porn addiction. Um, all of that is there. It also can tell you more about my coaching. Um, and if you uh, prefer the social media route, uh, I am only on Instagram and TikTok. And my name on both of those is That Corn Coach. Great. I cannot thank you enough. I hope you enjoy the rest of the week. I'll talk to you soon, Josh. All right. Thanks a lot, Vincent. Thank you.